Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Sometimes when a person first gets saved, there's a huge amount of excitement that will be present within an individual. There's a huge amount of excitement because of the expectations of what is going to take place in a person's life. There's a huge amount of excitement because they know that there is a real God and that He has revealed something to them, and they believe that He's going to intervene in their lives in some way. There, there are a lot of expectations that a new believer will generally have when they first come to know the Lord Jesus. But after a while, the excitement seems to thin out a little bit. And the reason why the excitement thins out a little bit is simply because a person discovers that their expectations were perhaps a little unrealistic. That maybe they believed that the Lord would reveal himself in some way or that he would change their life in some way. And then when it doesn't happen, well, then they can be a little disappointed. They can believe that maybe something's wrong. Maybe they need to do something different. Maybe they need to believe something different. Maybe the church that they are a part of doesn't quite have it all together. Maybe they don't know enough about God. Maybe they don't know God like they claim they do. And so because of that, people have a tendency to go to other churches. They will stick around their congregation for a little while, the congregation that they were first saved in, and then they go somewhere else, looking for something else. And one of the motives that I personally have found in people, one of the reasons why they pursue this is simply because they had expectations that were not met and they believe that if they go somewhere else, then the expectations that they had will perhaps be fulfilled there. That if they participate with another group of people, if they become members of another church, then maybe through being involved with another group of people, another group of believers, that maybe they can experience something a little bit more real in their Christian life. Maybe they can return to the original excitement that they once had when they first got saved. These are the kinds of things that many people struggle with, and I do expect that some of you right now who are listening to this program, you are probably struggling with something like this. You recently came to know the Lord, and you remember what it was like to have a tremendous amount of excitement and expectations, and I'm not saying that they are necessarily unrealistic, what I am saying, though, is that what happens in a lot of people's lives is they end up going into other things where they believe the solution will be found there only to discover that it isn't. This is a very difficult thing for a new believer to understand. It's very difficult for a new Christian to recognize this because, in general, they haven't been through all of these problems yet. They haven't been through these various congregations. They have not had the opportunity to experience the experiences that people are having only to discover that a lot of people are suggesting that they know something when in reality they just don't. And so for a new believer, this is a difficult adventure for them. This can be a very difficult adventure because there are many opportunities for disappointment. There just are. That's just the way it is in life. 
And I want you to know that if you encounter some disappointment, that you should not give up on your faith, that you should believe, you should still believe that there is a God and that he wants to show you who he is. And you should never let go of that. You should continue to pursue him. But understand something, and that is that it's very unusual to find a person who can say with conviction, I know my God. It's very unusual to find somebody like that. I would rather it not be the case, but that is the way things are. And if you understand that, then you won't be so surprised when you discover that people are not meeting your expectations because they claim one thing only for you to discover later on that it just wasn't the case. Now, one of the things that people tend to pursue is something called experiences. This is something that a new believer will tend to pursue because they believe, they believe that the experience that they had and the excitement that they experienced when they first got saved is something that really means something. And, you know, in a way it does, but in a way it really doesn't. It just depends on how you look at that. First of all, I think you should be very excited. And that maturity is not about trying to maintain this level of excitement, but instead becoming much more sober-minded about the reality that you are in. To be more aware, to be more understanding, to have more patience and kindness, to see the world through God's eyes and to hear the world through his ears, that that, I believe, is what you should be considering and what you should be pursuing. But unfortunately, a lot of people will instead go towards the experiences, where they just go from one experience to the next. And there are many congregations that cater to people who live for some kind of an experience, that their truth in life is determined by their experience. You know, it sounds like this. It sounds like, I experienced this phenomenon of some kind, and because I experienced this phenomenon, there is truth that can be defined here. That is how a lot of people live. I know this because I have met an incredible number of people who live this way. I'm not just saying this because it sounds good. I'm saying it because this is the way life is. But the Lord has had something very specific to say about this. He has said in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, that to establish truth on the basis of an experience... It is evil. It is a violation of the commandment of God. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. The word that is normally translated that describes this is the word for omen, someone who interprets omens. The meaning of that word is to establish truth on the basis of an experience. Now, I've spent a lot of time talking about this because... One of the experiences that people are preoccupied with is the experience of prayer. That people really believe that prayer is where it's at. Now, I believe that prayer is a wonderful thing. I I really do believe that. Don't get me wrong. But there are many people who believe that that is everything. That that is the Christian life. And because we are weak, because we are inadequate, because we are not mature... We do not pray as we should be praying. And so because we do not pray as we should be praying, we need some help. We need some help to pray correctly. And one of the ways that people pursue a solution to this problem is to pursue experiential 
moments where people are praying in some divine way of some kind, and they believe that this is a spiritual experience that God will do in a believer's life in order to ensure that they pray correctly. And of course, the name for this is the Doctrine of Tongues. Now, I have done a series of programs on this subject, almost two hours. I have a lot to say about this Doctrine of Tongues, and so I'm definitely not going to mention it here. I'm not going to talk about it here because I've already done a series on that. You can download those programs from my radio archive, or you can contact me for some audio CDs. I have had a lot to say about that, but I need to mention it because right now I'm teaching in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And a lot of people believe that this is the experience of speaking in tongues, as many congregations talk about the doctrine of tongues. I personally do not see that in here at all. I really don't. I do not believe that our weakness is not being able to pray correctly. A lot of people do, but I just don't share in that belief. I do not believe that. I do not believe that our weakness is a failure to pray correctly. But when people read verse 26 here, that's what people normally assume. And this groaning that is too deep for words, they believe that there must be some experience that manifests this groaning of some kind. And that's where they get these doctrines of experiences and experiential moments from. But I personally believe that that is a violation of Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 10 by establishing truth on the basis of an experience. That's what I personally see. I understand that there are a lot of people who don't agree with me. What do you want me to say? I suppose I could say, pray for me. Because it will take divine intervention for me to believe something besides what I've just said. I have given a lot of thought to this over many years. I might be new to you, but this subject is not new to me. Definitely not this one. I've been over this one a lot. I believe that there is a distinct separation here in verse 26 between our weaknesses and Prayer. I believe there is a distinct separation, not to say that our prayer is our weakness, but that we ought to pray about our weaknesses. That's what I see here. Again, in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, The Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. I don't believe that it says that our weakness is the inability to pray. I believe that we have weaknesses and we don't know how to pray about our weaknesses. We do not know how to speak to the Lord about the weaknesses that we have. We are afraid in many ways. We're unsure in many ways, because for some reason there are a lot of people who believe that we're not supposed to have any weaknesses. And so how dare us go before God and say, God, I've got some weaknesses. I've got some serious problems here. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to go to God and say, oh, God, forgive me for my weaknesses and find some way to help me overcome these weaknesses instead of saying, Lord, you know what? There are some weaknesses here. There is a big difference between apologizing to God for your condition, 
for the weaknesses that you have and speaking to him as your friend about the weaknesses that you have. If you sat down to have a cup of coffee or something with a friend of yours, are you going to be ashamed to share with them that you have some weaknesses? You're not going to be ashamed. In general, that's what friends are for. We have friends We have people in our lives who we can sit down with and open ourselves up and say, you know what, I am really struggling in life. I just need someone to hear me out and to understand that I am really having some problems. Can you just let me get this out of my system and just at least talk about it for a little bit? You don't even have to give me a solution. Would you just hear my pain in some way? But no, if the Lord is sitting down at a table with you, how dare you speak to him like that, right? That's what a lot of people seem to think. They think, no, you don't dare say to the Lord, Lord, you know, I just need to get some of this off my chest. Can I just talk about some of these issues that I'm struggling with and the weaknesses that I have? No, we're supposed to hide from that for some reason. We're not allowed to tell him that we've got problems. That's what I believe he is saying, is that we do not know how to pray as we ought because we still believe that he holds our sins against us. That's the problem in many people's lives. But when you recognize that he doesn't hold your sins against you, you are free to speak with him openly. You are free to speak with him about your pain and your suffering and the weaknesses in your life that you hate, that you wish would just go away. You are free to do that. But that is a measure of maturity that an individual can speak freely with their God as a friend because that is how he wants us to speak with him. But when we first get saved, we think of this great God in the sky who has no interest in our personal issues except to try to find some way to get us to stop sinning. That's how a lot of people see the Lord. And they may feel excited right away because they believe that he is going to intervene and solve all of their personal problems, to deal with all of their weaknesses. And when they find out that he's not necessarily going to do that, that maybe he's not going to deal with all of their weaknesses in the way that they want him to, then they may hesitate. They may hesitate in many ways to look to him for who he is and to really draw near to him as their best friend and as their God. This is something that everyone should experience, I believe. I think that this is a wonderful, healthy struggle. And if you have not yet experienced this, maybe you just need to take your sin a little bit more seriously. There are many reasons why a person will never get to this point. But once you do, don't run from it and don't be ashamed of it. Embrace your weaknesses and say, yes, Lord, I have weaknesses. And if I can't share them with you, then I should not be able to share them with anybody. If you do not know how to share these things with your Lord, he knows He knows because he is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. And if he is in you, he is with you, and he knows. He knows deeply. And so even though you personally, in your heart, may not be able to share with him the burdens that are deep down within you, it doesn't mean he doesn't know. That's what I believe he is saying here. I believe that he is saying that he does know, that he does understand, and that because he is in you, he can effectively speak in such a way that he within you will share with he who is in unapproachable light 
that God is in his kingdom as much as he is in your heart and he shares the burdens and the weaknesses that you have with himself inside. And that I believe that this is the prayer that he is referring to again in verse 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, he helps our weaknesses, not our weakness to pray, but he helps our weaknesses because he knows about our weaknesses. And the Spirit himself intercedes in the sense that the Spirit himself speaks to the living God in his totality, in his fullness about the weakness that we have. And the communication that takes place within the heart of God, just as you have communication within your own heart as you wrestle with issues silently in your own heart, so also the Lord may speak with himself. When he does, he speaks in groanings that are too deep for words. Now, for him to say groanings too deep for words, I suppose you might be thinking, now Aaron is going to tell us about all of these groanings that are too deep for words. I mean, if some people talk about the groanings that are too deep for words and they say that it's something like speaking in tongues or they say it's something that sounds like somebody has indigestion or who knows what it may be, you might be thinking, now Aaron is going to tell us. He is going to tell us what these groanings are. And I want you to know that I do know something about these groanings. And that is that they are too deep for words. And so what do you expect me to say? I mean, if they're too deep for words, how do you expect me to put words to this? All I can say is, is that they're too deep for words. I'm sorry, I've got no words for you. I have nothing to tell you. The Lord has given me no specific insights concerning these things that cannot be described in words. So I'm going to disappoint you if that's what you thought I was going to do. I don't have any spiritual insights beyond what the scriptures say. The Lord has given me nothing concerning this. All that I know is that he is speaking about our weaknesses in such a way that he knows our weaknesses. And you know, this God, this God is a God who lived here as a man. He knows what it is to struggle in the world that he created. So he knows about weaknesses. He knows about the weaknesses of other people, and he knows about the struggles of life. So when we speak to him on that level, we're not talking to a God who doesn't understand these things. We are talking to a God who does. Now, continuing into verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I believe that the connection between verse 26 and and 27 has to do with that last phrase in verse 27 that he intercedes according to the will of God. So first of all, you've got weaknesses and you may not feel very confident in sharing with the Lord, with your God, the weaknesses that you have. But don't worry, he's with you and he knows about these weaknesses. And within his own heart, he intercedes on your behalf. And he who said that he would complete the work that he began in you, I trust he will address some of your weaknesses in some way. He said that he would do a work within you, and I believe it can be reflected in the struggles that we have in life. 
But what he says here is that he will intercede according to the will of God. Now, when people see this phrase, the will of God, normally there's a bias attached to that. And I, of course, have a bias attached to that. People will think according to the desire of God, according to what he wants, according to what he wants to see happen or what he wants to do, that kind of thing. But I have a different bias. I personally believe that in general, there are some exceptions, of course, but in general, when I see the phrase, the will of God, I believe he's talking about the will that describes the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death that we are children of God and that we are heirs of God. For example, in verse 17, he says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, that he's talking about an inheritance, that he intercedes on our behalf on the basis of an inheritance, on the basis of what he has already given to us. So there is a very, very important connection between the weaknesses that you have and the inheritance that you have received in Christ Jesus. And this is what I want you to see between verses 26 and 27. That when you are first born again, you may be really excited with great anticipation but the maturity of a believer is experienced when you discover what you truly have in Christ Jesus, and you learn how to apply what you have been given in your daily life. Again, the maturity of a believer is measured in many ways by a person's discovery and application of what they have already received in Christ Jesus because of what he already did for them. And this takes time. This really does, in general. This takes time. This takes exposure to challenges and difficulties. This takes time to discover the weaknesses that you have, to discover what he has given to you, and to see the connection between what you don't have in your weakness and what you do have in Christ. And when you are able to put together what you do not have in your weakness and what you do have in Christ, then your weaknesses become strengths. It is then that your weaknesses become things that you can rejoice in, that you can truly embrace because it shows you something about your God. It shows you something about yourself, of course, but it shows you something more about the character, the nature, and the being of your God. It shows you how he sees you. It shows you how much he accepts you and how much he loves you. It shows you who he is so that you can discover, see, and experience the glory of God in the deepest part of your heart. I believe that this is what he has called us to, and that he searches our hearts to discover the weaknesses that are there, and that he will reveal things to us about what we have that will meet and fulfill the deepest parts of our hearts. Again, in verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints. In other words, he searches your heart, and he knows what he has to give. He knows what he's got to offer. And he knows what he's going to give, and he knows what he's not going to give. He knows what you need, and he has it for you. 
He searches the depth of your heart, and he knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He intercedes on your behalf, he prays on your behalf, and he gives to you according to his will, which means that he gives to you according to his inheritance, according to what he is able to deliver to you that you have now received as a result of his death and resurrection. I believe that that's what he's talking about, and so it's very important to discover the will of God and your inheritance in Christ. And I have, of course, done some programs on this subject, the subject of the will of God. I would also like to encourage you to listen to the programs I did on our identity in Christ. They are also related to this subject. But once you are able to discover this, then you can move on to verse 28 where he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And of course, there is a lot to be said about verse 28. First of all, in context of verse 26 and 27, we know that regardless of the weaknesses that we have, Regardless of the struggles that we experience, regardless of the failures and the sufferings and the losses, regardless of whatever evil or whatever sin we encounter, either from ourselves or from others, regardless of what happens in the world that we are a part of, our God is with us. He is with you. And regardless of what you have experienced so far or what you are about to experience next, Regardless of what happens, he will find a way to cause those things to work together for good. That there will be some good that will come out of that. Now you, of course, don't get to decide what that good is going to be. So don't feel disappointed if what you hope will occur doesn't occur. Don't be disappointed about that. You need to turn to your God and trust him. You trust him because he is trustworthy. He is doing a work here. And the more that you get in touch with that and understand who he is and what he's doing, the more you will be able to trust him and enjoy the work that he does and see the good that he brings out to reveal to you in your life. And I will explain this more in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you man.